0: Hey there,
1: good morning. Welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and so glad that you're here. It is February 11th, 2021, and today is National Giving Hearts Day. On the second Thursday in February each year, the celebration offers one of the best opportunities to donate to your favorite charity. Not only that, this is the longest-running giving day in the United States. So today, National Giving Hearts Day, what do you have on your heart? Who would you like to share with? Who would you like to help bless? Think about it. Maybe uh, you might wanna give a little something. You know, as they say, it's better to give than to receive. I'm a big believer in that. All right. Uh, Well, he's going to be joining us later in the show, a congressman from Florida, Byron Donalds. He's a brand new member of Congress. And we're going to talk about a lot of topics, everything from impeachment to a possible civil war within the Republican Party. But first, I want to get to my latest article at Just the News. It's looking at the impeachment strategy. Alan Dershowitz is a famous legal scholar. He was at Harvard University for a long time, and he helped lead the first defense for President, former President Trump. And he says this go around, he's not part of the official team, but he's talked to me yesterday about the advice he gives to Trump's current legal team on the second impeachment. He said that they must avoid what he called a trap of debating election fraud during the Senate trial. Uh, and if you're like me and you're a Star Wars nerd, you know that phrase, it's a trap. But in any way, it's a trap, he says, to have them talk about electoral fraud, because if they do, they'll lose McConnell and other senators. And by that, he's saying, OK, this Question of whether or not there was electoral fraud. I spoke to Phil Klein, who's going to be joining me later in the program. Phil Klein was a big uh, researcher and legal scholar and uh, legal, basically attorney who was fighting for a lot of these cases to prove electoral fraud in the court of law. And he says, even he says, Phil Klein, because he worked uh, very closely with members of the president, President Trump's legal team, uh, to to go through these uh, arguments around legal fraud. And he also said, let's leave this out of the impeachment argument. Let's focus on getting this acquittal quick and just rapid. And then we can go back to the national conversation about electoral fraud. All right, he's joining us now. He's a brand new member of Congress. Congressman Byron Donalds is joining us from Cape Coral, Florida. Good morning, Congressman.
2: Good morning, how are you?
1: Doing well. So what is your read on the impeachment trial so far?
2: Um, I think it's, it's, I think, I think it's really just not a good situation for the Senate to be in. I think that, um uh, look, here's, here's the deal. Um, in law, I'm not a lawyer, but I'll tell you, I haven't been around enough lawyers. If you have the law, pound the law. If you have the facts, you pound the facts. And if you got nothing, you pound the table. And I think the Democrats are pounding the table. Um, everything I saw in their opening arguments was based upon emotion. It was based upon the actual riots that did occur. It was based upon, um, Uh, Congressman Raskin's uh, discussion with his daughter about not wanting to come back to the Capitol. And those things are all heinous. That is all things that are are not only just terrible for his family specifically, but terrible for the country. But nowhere in those arguments did they discuss what the president of the United States actually did, actually did with concrete evidence that actually led to an insurrection. That did not occur. Um, And that's been their opening arguments.
1: Um, the arguments, The
2: arguments on unconstitutionality.
1: Sure, yeah. I I spoke to a former very senior official with the FBI and he said, look, there's a reason the FBI is not going after Trump on this question of actual incitement, because by the legal definition, which is a very technical and specific definition of incitement, it's not even close.
2: Very, very true. And I think that is the key thing. The second key thing you have is the chief justice is not presiding. So like the chief justice not presiding further goes to the fact that what we're dealing with is political payback and has nothing to do with actual high crimes and misdemeanors. And look, I'm not absolving the riots that happened on the 6th. It was a tragedy for our country. But you cannot say, by, by, by any measure of law, that any statement given by the president at any time from November 3rd to January 6th led to, directly led to the events that happened at the United States Capitol. It's simply not there. And further, I would, go, I, would, I would go beyond that because I know a lot of my colleagues on my side of the aisle are bringing up statements by Democrats from last summer. I don't want to even use those those statements. I go back to Bernie Sanders' rhetoric three years ago, almost four years ago now, about health care, saying that the Republican pan was going to lead to Americans dying or was going to kill Americans. And there was a Bernie Sanders supporter who went and shot up the, the Republican congressional baseball practice, Steve Scalise almost died he almost lost his life that was a direct target against members of congress in the same vein that you could say that happened on January 6th. Right, and and, and not a single Republican said they
1: wanted to prosecute Bernie Sanders there at all. Um, I want to turn to another topic, Congressman, and that's an issue you tweeted out about, and it's looking at the legacy of the Supreme Court Justice and Black History Month. So Black History Month, uh, the Florida GOP noted that you have signed on to a letter urging the National Museum of African American History to basically expand and give more attention and more love and a better tribute to Clarence Thomas. Why do you think that they have chosen to basically diminish the legacy of Clarence Thomas?
2: Because he's a conservative. I mean, it's really just that simple. I think if Clarence Thomas was a liberal justice, uh, his, his uh, portrayal in the museum would be uh, significantly greater than it is. And I think it's time that, um, you know, we have this discussion, um, not just in politics, but I think also in the black community. I think it's important for for all black people to be able to understand and take into full context um, all black voices, whether they might be liberal, whether they might be conservative. And I think this is part of it. That's why, you know, I signed the letter along with uh, Burgess Owens and Tim Scott and Kate I think it's important for people to understand that uh, for black people in America, if we're truly going to progress, we have to embrace all voices um, in our political movements like we embrace all voices in our in our entertainment movements in our athletic movements or even in our social movements.
1: Well, we certainly saw, especially among black men, an increase in black voting for Republicans in 2016 compared to 2012, and then even more in 2020 compared to 2016. So you're onto something there just as far as voices. Let's talk real quick about the budget package, the $1.9 trillion. You don't like this. You say that it is uh, reckless, rewarding failed failed leadership. Why? Real quick.
2: Uh, Real quick. First of all, there's already $1.3 trillion in appropriated money that has not been spent yet. It was appropriated last year. The money still hasn't been spent. The Democrats want another $1.9 trillion, which doesn't make any sense at all because they're not, it's not targeted. It's not focused on the actual areas of interest in the economy right now. If you add the two together, you're at $3 trillion. What Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden want is they want the Heroes Act from last year that never would have passed the United States Senate and Donald Trump never would have signed into law. And now they're back to get that. That's exactly what's happening. They want the
3: Heroes Act and they're
2: doing it. All right.
1: Congressman, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with you. More here on the line. Stay tuned. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield. Glad that you're with us. More here with Congressman Byron Donalds from Florida, a newly minted congressman first term. Hey there, Congressman. How you doing? Hey, good. good. So let's talk about the Republican Party. So right now it seems that there is a possible civil war brewing. So Reuters just reported that dozens of former Republican officials are in talks to form an anti-Trump third party that includes some members of the Trump administration, as well as members of the George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, and the Reagan administration, and some past ambassadors from the GOP. Uh, There was a group of more than 120 of them that held a Zoom call last week. They were led by Evan McMullen, reportedly, who ran as a third-party candidate in 2016. And then there's also the fact that Adam Kinzinger, who has been a very vocal critic of Donald Trump, is creating a pack to go on the attack of what he calls Trumpism. And he goes specifically, and he names Matt Gates as one of his targets, as well as Marjorie Taylor Greene. And he says Gats, uh, Matt, Matt Gates is, um, he's accusing, prioritizing fame over legislating. And he says that they don't actually believe what they've voiced to the voters. And in response, Matt Gates goes to Twitter and he says this. He says, Adam is a patriot who fought for America from Northwest Florida. We will always appreciate and honor his service. NOW HE WANTS TO TARGET MY AMERICA FIRST POLITICS, REFERENCING ME BY NAME. MY RESPONSE, effing BRING IT. WE HAD TO BLUR THAT OUT FOR OUR VIEWERS, Uh, BUT HE DIDN'T BLUR IT OUT HIMSELF. AND HE SAYS ADAM NEEDS PACS TO WIN ELECTIONS. I DON'T. ALL RIGHT, CONGRESSMAN, WHAT'S GOING ON WITH YOUR PARTY? ARE YOU WORRIED ABOUT A CIVIL WAR HERE?
2: Uh, ACTUALLY, I'M NOT. LOOK, HERE'S WHAT HAPPENS EVERY TIME I THINK REPUBLICANS LOSE AN ELECTION. uh, THERE'S ALWAYS THIS FIGHT FOR WHO'S GOING TO NOW TAKE THE GROUND AND TAKE LEADERSHIP IN THE PARTY. Um, I think that's something that's going to get sorted out, frankly, by the voters, not going to be sorted out by politicians. The reality is, is that the American voter, the Republican voter, is looking for strong leadership. What they want are people who are actually going to do what they said they were going to do and actually campaign that way. They don't want the old guard Republicans. Sorry, guys, I just want to let you know they're not looking for that anymore. They're looking to move past that. And so I think it's all going to get work out in the end. I'm not concerned about people wanting to start a pack and any of that kind of stuff because the voters are going to decide this.
1: Interesting. So what's the future of the Republican Party?
2: Honestly, I think the the future is people like me. It's people who are outspoken. I think it's people like Madison Cawthorn. I think it's people like Nicole Meliotakis. I think it's people like Maria Salazar. I mean, you have men and women in our conference now who are much younger, far more diverse. Uh, We are conservative and we are outspoken. Um, And so I think that that's really the future of the party. You got to spend time talking to the actual voters, Republican primary voters. They don't want mush. They simply don't want that. They want people who are gonna be strong in their convictions and and hold true to that. I don't think that's gonna change.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the New York Stock Exchange. So the New York Stock Exchange chief has warned that they might exit New York if there is a stock transfer tax that is imposed. The New York state Stock Exchange president, Stacey Cunningham, said she and 25 other representatives of the uh, New York security industry sent a letter last Wednesday to state legislative leaders warning against the unintended consequences of imposing such a tax, which could ultimately be borne by the investors. And in response, you sent out a tweet. You said, hey, New York, Stock Exchange reasons to move to Southwest Florida. Zero income tax, zero intangible asset tax, low corporate tax, and it is 85 degrees in Florida. So you're saying, hey, come hang up your shingle here in Florida. Have you been in talks with them at all? Have they responded to your your, throwing out your arms there?
2: No, we haven't been in talks yet, but I'm actually quite serious about it. It's something that you know, myself, uh, Governor DeSantis and the New York Stock Exchange need to actually sit down and have a conversation. The reality is this. I'm As a former New Yorker, uh, the legislature in New York, the governor in New York, the Blasio, the I don't want to talk about him right now, they have destroyed my former home state. I mean, that place is, is not going well. And the fact that they're trying to raise taxes on the New York Stock Exchange simply because they have bad policy when it comes to economic growth is proof positive why the NYSC should just leave. It's okay. It's 2021. Technology is fantastic. You can trade stocks anywhere in the world. They should just move the exchange here. It'll be better for them than the people in the state of New York and figure out what they're going to do next and realize that their policies are so bad. They should reverse course and actually adopt the policies of Florida. It will make New York state a better state.
1: Well, it seems that a lot of New Yorkers agree with you, including former President Trump himself and a lot of Californians are moving to Texas. You guys are the pipeline uh, from New York, it seems. Um, I want to talk about the Freedom Force. So you're a member of the Freedom Force, which uh, some people have said this is the response to the quote unquote squad uh, over on the left on the Democratic side in the House. What is the Freedom Force in your words and what are your goals?
2: Uh, we're a group of members who actually both stand for individual liberty. Some of us have—we have uh, we basically all have experienced uh, tyranny, socialism, or incredibly bad policy in some way, shape, or form um, in our lives. And I think what you have are members who are not afraid to stand for the United States Constitution, want to make sure that we actually adhere to the rule of law, and actually not just, you know, fight with the squad. That's, that's the overall intent. It's actually to produce policy, to produce a positive agenda— for the future of the country. And I think that that's what, you know, in my words, that's what we're going to do. I think that that's what we're committed to, to, to doing and being, and to really be that, that opposition to, you know, some of the, the radical policies from the left.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you're on the Budget Committee in the House, and I've, I've heard that there are Republicans who are going to oppose Neera Tandon. So she's the Biden nominee for the Office of Management and Budget Director. Do you oppose Neera Tandon sitting there?
2: Yes, I do. I mean, by the reports that I've seen, number one, Uh, She actually is quite abusive to her staff. That's number one. I think that's been documented before. Number two, you know, I think her ideas is, you know, specifically coming to OMB and her political viewpoints, I just think are too radical for the country. That's why I oppose the nomination.
1: Do you think you can do anything, though? Because it seems that, you know, the Democrats are controlling everything.
2: I mean, they can control. They do have control in terms of the numbers in the Senate, in the Senate specifically and, and with respect to the president. The president's going to nominate who he wants. My hope is that you actually have um, at least one Democrat senator who just looks at how radical of a nominee she is and realizes, like, you know what, this is not a good pick to lead uh, this, this agency of government. That's my hope.
1: I'm just curious, Congressman, so you're, you know, You said you mentioned you're from New York, you, you know, born and raised in a very urban environment in New York City and single mom. How did you go from that environment, which is very, very liberal, to being a member of the Republican Freedom Force? Walk us through that journey.
2: Well, I mean, look, growing up, we didn't really care about politics. That was not our thing. We were not a political family. Uh, We barely talked about politics, to be honest with you. My mom was focused on hard work and education, and she knew that those were the things that were going to get me out of the inner city. Um, I, when I graduated high school, I went to college in Florida. I went to uh, FAMU and HBCU, and I also went to Florida State. Even during college, didn't care much about politics. It wasn't until I was well into my professional career, looking at the financial collapse you know, almost 12 years ago now, that I started paying attention to politics. And that's what got me involved. That's what got me off the couch. But it's really just the, the building blocks my mom gave me, believing in hard work, believing it in education, believing that you it's, it's within you to make your future, and you can't rely on anybody else. That's what she taught me as a young kid, and that's kind of what led me to conservatism.
1: It's just those values. I mean, that's what Abraham Lincoln, it's his birthday tomorrow. Uh, he said, all that I am, I owe to my angel mother. I think a lot of people agree with that. Congressman, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. And stay with us. We have Phil Klein. You probably saw him all over on TV during the dispute over the election. He's joining us to talk about the latest and what's the future for these debates about electoral fraud. Is there anything that that conservatives can do to bring reforms at the state level? Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe
1: Morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Phil Klein joins me this morning. He's the director of the Amistad Project at the Thomas More Society. And he has a lot to say about the Trump impeachment trial. Good morning, Phil. So I want to put up my headline that I put up earlier in the program. And it's looking at comments. I included your comments, but I put for the headline Dershowitz because he was part of Trump's first impeachment uh, argument. And he said that Trump defense must avoid the trap of debating election fraud during the Senate trial. And I quoted you in there too, because you said the same thing. You said this is not the right venue to talk about electoral fraud. And I know a lot of Trump supporters were hoping this could be the perfect venue to talk about electoral fraud because the you know January 6th tragedy distracted everybody from the topic at hand, which was electoral fraud and, and lots of questions about election integrity and election irregularities. So So why are you guys saying, let's not talk about electoral fraud here?
3: Well, the impeachment uh, places the burden on the Democratic Party to prove that the president, while president, engaged in a high crime and misdemeanor. The burden is not on the president to prove election fraud. That takes time. It takes witnesses. It takes the development of evidence. And we're going to be debating this over the next couple of years. And that points out the fact that the reason the Democrats are doing this is not because of an effort to protect our country. And I don't believe anybody in their right mind believes the president intended to create violence on January 6th. What they're saying is, you cannot disagree with the election result. You can't think that, and you can't raise that issue because some people might act on it in the wrong way. In other words, they're trying to silence the debate. Generally, the reason when you want to silence an important political discussion that will have an impact on policy is because you don't have faith in your argument. And that's true about the Democrats. One, it is uncontroverted that there was a lawless election. In other words, local election officials defied state law. Two, it is uncontroverted that private interests poured more money in than the federal government to dictate how local election officials in the urban core would manage their elections in defiance of state law. Mm -hmm. Those two things are known and can't be refuted and raise serious issues that justify anybody questioning the manner in which the election was conducted in 2020. They don't want that debate. They don't want America to look at the election. So this is an effort to silence all dissent. And unfortunately, it's been a part of their strategy for some time. When the Attorney General of Michigan allows her communications director to tweet out a story about how attorneys representing the president should be investigated, and The governor calls for their loss of their law licenses, and also the attorney general of Michigan indicates that legislators who disagree with the election outcome could be investigated criminally. You have the power structure trying to silence dissent.
1: Well, it's interesting. You have a, for- you have an op-ed on this topic over at Town Hall that our, our viewers and our listeners can go take a look at. The headline is, The Impeachment of Trump is an Effort to Silence Dissent. You say that impeaching Donald Trump and prohibiting him from ever again holding federal office is part and parcel with the left's broader anti-democratic strategy. You say, think of it as an insurance policy, just in case the Democrats aren't able to tilt the playing field in their favor before the 2024 presidential election. I just noticed a headline that just broke while we're talking, and that is that Lucasfilms has dropped the Mandalorian star Gina Carano because they said she made some, quote, abhorrent social media posts. And what did she say? She said, she said the treatment of people with political differences in modern times, she compared it to that of Nazi Germany. And in their statement, Lucasfilms called Carano's post abhorrent and unacceptable. The actor has also been dropped as a client by her talent agency, UTA. Uh, what's Response to this, is this another form of Hollywood blacklisting?
3: Well, America needs to be bigger than this. You know, a nation that promises in its constitution, with by the way, the most anti democratic document in human history called the Bill of Rights, that says an individual has a right to speak their mind despite our disagreement. That kind of country has to be big enough that everybody protects the rights of those with whom they disagree to speak. That's vitally important. If you're in this country solely believing your right needs to be protected and that you have the right to not be offended by the speech of another and that government must step in, you don't support that Constitution nor that Bill of Rights. You support What is modern identity politics that says your value to society based on the group that you're a member of is going to tell us whether you should have rights or not. We've seen those kind of governments throughout human history. They are totalitarian and they are oppressive. They are present now in China, in Iran, and groups like this. America must stand up against going that direction. And I challenge the left. The yeah, I mean, it seems ha-
1: that, uh, you know, Hollywood today always talks about what happened in the 1950s, and they talk about McCarthyism and blacklisting. Are they doing the same exact thing today?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. The the reality, and you know that I, I am a person of faith, the reality is the abused becomes the abuser, the, the belittled becomes the belittler, unless something is gifted to them that the world has not to offer. What we have to do is ask everybody to stand up and afford one another the grace to live and be without this intolerance in the name of tolerance, saying that, ooh, you messed up here on one tweet, therefore you do not have a right to participate in the American hope and dream anymore. And that's what the left is doing. And I firmly believe there are those on the left who know better and they're frightened to speak because they don't want it to happen to them.
1: All right, let's make some quick speaking. sound from Raskin real fast, and then we'll respond to it right after.
4: Incitement to violence is, of course, not protected by the First Amendment. That's why most Americans have dismissed Donald Trump's First Amendment uh, rhetoric uh, simply by referring to Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes's handy phrase. You can't shout fire in a crowded theater. But even that time-honored principle doesn't begin to capture how off-base the argument is. This case is much worse than someone who falsely shouts fire in a crowded theater. It's more like a case where the town fire chief, who's paid to put out fires, sends a mob, not to yell fire in a crowded theater, but to actually set the theater on fire. And who then, when the fire alarms go off, And the calls start flooding into the fire department. Asking for help does nothing but sit back, encourage the mob to continue its rampage and watch the fire spread on TV with glee and delight.
1: Your response, Phil Klein?
3: Extraordinarily misleading and false. You know, everybody agrees that somebody can't shout fire in a crowded theater when there is no fire because it has no utility or and everybody has to rush to get out of one door stampede, and, and harm one another. In other words, the very purpose of the speech is to cause violence and harm. Here we have 75 million Americans, as well as a lot of experts and individuals, saying this election caused serious issues in how America runs elections and telling people that to engage in mm-hmm. policy is part of the democratic process.
1: All right. Phil you, Klein, we got to leave yes it right there. Thank you so the much. Right has no we appreciate right it. To participate. All right, we'll be right back, folks.
5: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
1: Good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, I'm glad you're with us. Well, abortion is a very hot topic right now, and it's only going to get hotter with this new president, and the news overseas that the United States now is going to be sending money to fund abortion under what's known as the Mexico City policy, which former President Trump rolled back, is one of those big topics right now, and joining me to discuss this is Mallory Quigley. She's vice president of communications with Susan B. Anthony List, which is a pro-life group for women. Good morning, Mallory. Good
0: morning, Carrie. Thanks so much for
1: having me. Good to have you. So walk us through. So New York Times did a headline here. They said, Biden wants more stable diplomacy. An abortion fight is a test. U.S. funding for overseas health providers that offer abortion services has vacillated with the changing of administrations for decades. Congress is debating whether to settle the policy by law. So the statement here is to say, okay, you're going back and forth. There's sort of a whiplash here on Mm -hmm. policy, depending on who's in the White House. President George W. Bush opposed this. Obama was for it. And so you're really going back and forth. Yeah. Do you think Congress will put, I mean, although you could argue, well, maybe a Republican Congress would then right. uh, repeal it. So is there ever going to be anything settled on this?
0: I think that the margins are very tight in Congress right now. So we are working very diligently to make sure that there's no expansion of taxpayer funding of abortion and something like a codified You know, anti-Mexico City policy would fit that description. So we're working really hard against that. It's you're right that it's sort of flipped on back and forth. But I'm really interested in the people in these very pro-life nations and cultures who are receiving. Um, U.S. funding, taxpayer funding, going towards global health spending, you know, and Marie Soaps International, Planned Parenthood International. These are both groups that were founded by people with deep-seated racist and eugenicist ideologies, and it's really a form of cultural imperialism going into these nations and um, Pressing an abortion agenda, and we shouldn't be exporting that. And a majority of Americans don't want to do that. Even two thirds of people that call themselves pro-choice, and more than half of Democrats. So, with seventy-seven percent of Americans hoping not to fund abortion overseas, I think Congress has its answer right there. And it's a disappointment that that Joe Biden, you know, a Catholic, one time, you know, held some pro life views especially on this issue of taxpayer funding that he is you know very early in the administration doing something that the abortion lobby loves which is giving them a big slush fund.
1: It's very interesting what you just said about the fact that uh, there was very racist and eugenicist viewpoints among the founders of these pro-abortion groups. Why does the left not understand this if they are the ones who say that they are against colonization, right. they're against a white supremacist agenda? Why are they comfortable with doing this in developing countries which have very often black and brown people yeah. in majority countries?
0: Yeah, it's, it's all part of the cognitive dissonance of the abortion lobby. I mean, to... There's there's a big contradiction that we see uh, from Planned Parenthood, NARAL, Emily's List, about how to grapple with this issue. It's something that they've spent a lot of time with, especially last summer amid the Black Lives Matter protests, reckoning with the fact that Margaret Sanger um, held really terrible views about people that didn't look like her. Marie Stokes International, they have renamed themselves MSI to avoid um, you know, that, the name that invokes uh, racism and eugenicism, I mean, it's just a complete disconnect that they, which is at the heart of the abortion issue itself, you know, um, the choice to take a life uh, and, and using all these sort of linguistic uh, gymnastics to say, you know, it's a involved of tissue, etc. There's really just a, it's a lack of willing to address the reality and it gets them into trouble.
1: Let's talk about the, you mentioned public funding and the fact that Joe Biden had supported the Hyde Amendment. Mm-hmm. How does this even work if domestically you're not allowed to spend U.S. tax money on abortion under the Hyde Amendment? How is this even happening because of the Hyde Amendment? Shouldn't P B be blocking that to begin right,
0: with? Right, right. Well, the president also... Oh, and to be clear,
1: the Hyde Amendment is something that has been in place for decades. It's, it's been bipartisan
0: to ban taxpayer money for abortion, at least in the U.S. That's exactly right, Carrie, for elective abortion. There's always been exceptions for, um, you know, the rape, incest and and the life of the mother. Um, But President Biden has also repealed the the domestic protect life rule, which under President Trump prevented Planned Parenthood from receiving as many as $60 million in taxpayer funding because for... Because they wanted to draw a bright line of separation between family planning and abortion. And a lot a lot of, at the heart of the Protect Life Rule battle is this idea of, okay, if taxpayers are funding um, programs to do with contraception, but then in the next room there's abortion taking place, you know, that money is used for advertising, it's used to pay the electricity bill, there's basically no limits on what that Title X funding can be used for. So... But the but the Democratic Party has made very clear that they want to repeal the Hyde Amendment everywhere. It's something that has to be added. And it's not just Hyde. There's Weldon. There's a series of riders that get added to the the appropriations and funding, uh, funding bills to protect taxpayer consciences from being complicit in abortion on demand. This is something that pro-abortion Democrats have taken aim at. And Joe Biden, for a long time, supported the Hyde Amendment. Like you said, it's been bipartisan policy since the 70s. And uh, this is another area where he's flip-flopped and Mm. is now caving to the abortion So
1: you guys retweeted something about the fact that there's a record breaking 30 pro-life women elected to the House as proof that life is winning in America. And I want to ask you about this real quick before we go to break. Uh, Do you think this will stop because there are more pro-life people? And do you think pro-life Democrats could play a role in stopping these are about abortion initiatives.
0: Yes, uh, it's incredibly encouraging. This is the flip side of the coin of the 2020 election for pro-lifers: is that we now have 30 pro-life women in in Congress, um, 11 of them who flipped pro-abortion seats. They're all Republicans. We absolutely need pro-life Democrats. Uh, we want to make this a bipartisan issue, and for there to be political right. consequences on both sides. All right. Thanks so much. We'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned.
1: morning. Welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. We love hearing from you, our viewers, and our listeners. Every day, I send out a tweet at Carrie Sheffield. Here's what I said yesterday. What did you think about the first day of Trump's impeachment trial? Black Voices for Trump co-chair Stacey Washington joined me. We talked about it on the program yesterday, but what you said in response, uh, social distancing, which is, uh, that's actually a really hilarious username, <laughs> um, says, and so I don't know what this person's real name is, but I fell for it, <laughs> says that his counsel was atrocious. And a lot of people, including Republicans, said that the counsel for President Trump could have been stronger. Uh, Jason Miller himself, who's a Trump spokesman, said that there were some things that could have been tightened up a bit, um, especially on the front of making sure that it was really, really specific and, and tighter on the constitutional arguments. Political Cat says, I thought David Shone's argument about due process was spot on and Castor was an incoherent rambling mess, but they could have been Clarence Darrow and Perry Mason and they wouldn't have swayed a single vote because it's all about hate and party, not law. And you're right. Again, even Jason Miller, who's the Trump spokesman, said that the issue was with Castor. Also, the Dunedon says, What trial? Oh, you mean the kangaroo court currently going on in the Senate? Yeah. Not bothering to watch it. I think a lot of Americans agree with the dun-dun, dun-dun. Uh We'll have to see how the ratings shape up uh, to see if the American people wanted to relive such a, a really tragic and a violent and a horrible day. Um, but the question is whether this is something you can project on to a former president uh, and whether that former president's First Amendment rights uh, are not protected or not. Um, and joining me here on set to discuss this is Ben Burkwam. He's a contributor correspondent for Real America's Voice here on the network. Morning, Ben.
6: Good morning, Carrie. It's great to be back with you.
1: So you're here on set with us. Usually you're giving us a dispatch from Capitol Hill. You usually have razor wire behind you I, but you're here because I, it's I snowing asked if you and could cold put,
6: yeah if you could put some in make me feel <laughs> a little more at home but yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah because you all day yesterday you were walking the perimeter um what did people say that you spoke with
6: well uh the few people that are out there that's the kind of the odd thing it's it's almost a surreal place now if you've been to dc and i, I you know i was in eighth grade we did our trip out here and and came several times now i have my own children and have brought them out here did the fourth of july parade and i'll tell you I would not bring my family to Washington, D.C. right now. It is just not, not just for the weather, because of the weather, but uh, it just is not a place that represents what this country was founded on, the freedom, the liberty, the, the greatness. Uh, it is a compound. It is a militarized compound that stretches for miles. Uh, I walked the entire perimeter. Uh, it's o- over four miles, I'd estimate. And it, it ha- really has a feel of uh, a communist, socialist, uh, totalitarian government facility Um, and that's you know talking to the folks on the ground that's why a lot of them haven't shown up i've been speaking to other trump supporters across america that would have otherwise been here in support of president trump and they uh said they just don't want to deal with it they with what happened on january 6th and the demonizing of all trump supporters and president trump and um and now seeing what we're seeing with the censorship and the cancel culture and all of that it all seems geared to silencing opposition and that's what we heard. Uh, I heard from a lot of the the, or the few that were down there, um, but I did hear the similar sentiment about the uh, first day with President Trump's attorneys. They weren't impressed. They really want him the the, the attorneys to be more forceful. Uh, and then watching yesterday, you know, it was a. Uh, a very good show by the democrats i mean you watched that it was riveting to watch it uh, but that that's if you're an ignorant person that doesn't realize reality and haven't been watching the last 4 years of the insurrection by the democrats and so there's there's this kind of uh, you know juxtaposition going on where it's all listen to what we say not what we do or what we did and um i think most americans like i don't know if it was the cat one uh, said said they've tuned it out you know they're they're just They're not paying attention. And I think at this point, that's probably the best thing to do because what you're hearing from the Democrats is not honest what you know it's blaming well,
1: It's interesting you mentioned that because Eric Swalwell who ran for <laughs> yes. president uh, he's one of the impeachment leaders for the Democrats and John Solomon our founder has a piece that he co-authored with one of our colleagues Daniel Payne looking at Eric Swalwell's record on the Russia collusion so over and over he was pushing this for years this narrative of a right. Russian collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government or Russian officials and we know even from the Mueller report itself this was blatantly not true. That's right. And yet Eric Swalwell now is wanting to trust us to trust him to narrate and basically interpret, interpretive dances about Donald Trump's tweets over the past weeks, weeks leading up to this event. So he wants us to trust what Eric Swalwell has to say about Donald Trump's tweets, even though for years he misled us about what was happening with the Russia collusion narrative.
6: Even to the point where... Uh, If you question the election, somehow you may be incompetent, mentally incompetent or a danger to society. I mean, that is kind of that's the frame. That's what they're trying to position. Anybody using the words conspiracy that, that anyone who says or question the election. And there was a lot to question in the this past election, the 2020 election. There's still a lot to question and a lot to get to the bottom of. Uh, but anyone even questioning that, you have somebody like Eric Swalwell, who also uh, you know, was co-mingling with uh, potentially spies in his own office. This guy is the guy who's supposed to be representing the government saying, trust me, after I lied to you for four years about Russia, now you can't talk about Chinese interference or any other interference. It is. It's laughable, but it's also um, it's incredibly dangerous to the future of this republic. And and I think the the worst part about what I saw yesterday in particular was the. Uh, pretend patriotism you know it was the, the the raising up uh vice president pence on this pedestal and and well, that, was, that
1: was an appeal to try to get republicans to cross over oh, right uh, absolutely which, which was just so ironic because <laughs> you, you see all the hate that they had hurled at uh, former vice president mike pence for years and now they want to get all warm and fuzzy about him kind of ironic just a little bit you know we're not going to be cynical though are we no, 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 no. okay <laughs> all right that does it for us we'll be right back stay tuned folks hey there good morning welcome back to just the news am i'm carrie sheffield i'm glad you're with us well i'm going to close the show with going into a literary little dance here and this is something maybe you saw this trending but if not we'll put it up for you so andrea mitchell who is a very uh well-known established beltway type reporter for nbc news she said she called out senator ted cruz for saying on fox news that the impeachment trial is like shakespeare full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. She says, no, that's Faulkner, because Faulkner wrote a book called The Sound and the Fury. Donald Trump Jr. responds and says, it's Macbeth, you're trying too hard. Twitter pro tip, don't go for the dunk if you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then in response, Senator Ted Cruz says this, me thinks she doth protest too much. One would think NBC would know the bard. Andrea, take a look at Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 5. Life struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Very poetic and amazing literature there by Shakespeare by The Bard. My last name is Sheffield, it's British. Very proud of my British roots there. Shakespeare, Uh, Andrea Mitchell responds to her credit. She says... I clearly studied too much American literature and not enough Macbeth. My apologies to Senator Cruz. So good on you, Andrea Mitchell, for apologizing. You're a mainstream reporter. We should be seeing more of that. Don't you think? Hit me up on Twitter. What do you want to see reporters apologizing for? All right, stay tuned. War Room is next.
2: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail.